am speechless. You know my testimony. You know my background. Uh, I have had so many different kind of struggles. Came with so much baggage. But we are not those that shrink back. We are those that keep on by faith. We forge ahead. We face our issues head on. And God will deliver us from every single one of them. So let's give Jesus a hand clap. Because he's the one that's worthy. He's the one that's awesome. Yes. Yes. Father, we thank you for every woman in this place tonight. And I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Because we want to grow up and be just like you. That's really what we want. We want this place to be a place where you are the center and where the people that come in feel the love of God. It's incomparable. It's absolutely nothing like it. Lord, do something like you've never done before in 2020. In all of our hearts, God, we say, reveal your purpose for our lives and stretch us so that we would be all that you called us to be to one another in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So I did ask them for a music stand, but all you guys have are like computer things. And um, I don't even have a computer. I wrote my book on my iPad. Uh, before I go on, I have to tell you the funniest story. So uh, even though, you know, I love the Lord, I, I you know, I love the word. I'm, I was just 69 years old. 69 years old. I remember meeting my mother-in-law. She was 40. I thought she was the oldest woman I ever met in my life. I was like, ugh. 69 years old and I am alive and kicking. Well, anyway, I was invited to Paris to, to preach a number of months ago and I'm on the plane and I said, you know what? I was with my husband and I said, you know, I want to text like my son Chris. He, he texts from the plane, and I want to be able to do that. So, of course, I take out that little cardboard thing, and I'm trying to follow along. I don't even know what Wi-Fi is. I might thank God that, you know, somehow, some way, I get to Google things, but I don't really understand how it happens. So I'm following the, um, the little cardboard, and this woman, the... Uh, the stewardess, little French, beautiful, little petite woman, she comes up the aisle with her little cart, and she goes, Madame, may I help you? And I said, well, yes, and I am the over-explainer of over-explainers, right? So my kids kind of like go like this to me, like, Mom, they really don't care. So I go through the whole story. You see, well, my son Chris travels the world, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And then finally I said, you know, I just want to text. So she says, okay, she says, um, can I have your device? And I said, okay, so I give her my device. And she says, um, madame, qu'est-ce que c'est your browser? You know, where is your browser? And I go, uh, my browser? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know you. <laughs> You're asking me for my browser. <laughs> 
you know, so I'm going, uh, my browser, uh, my browser, uh, I start looking in my pocketbook. And then I turned to her and I said, I think I left it home. I think I left it home. All of a sudden, this woman, she sucks her, her cheeks in. She holds on to the thing because I'm telling she was going to have a heart attack. And she says, no, no, your, your browser, madame. She says, safari, Google. And I went, oh, my browser, the thing you browse on. So I am telling you, I am growing leaps and bounds. I now know what a browser is, so you better watch out. He does go from glory to glory. Yes, he does. Anyway, how many of us have ever uttered the words, when somebody asks you, how are you doing? You say, just hanging in there. How many have uttered those words more times than you care to admit? I've said it. Why do you think we oftentimes, as Christians, find ourselves so dry? Why do we go through such long periods of dry seasons. In the world we live in, we have every Christian resource available to us. We have Christian TV, we have podcasts, we have websites, we have Christian music, we have how-to books for every stage, every age. We have the Bible plan in one year. We have daily devotionals. We have transformed groups. You know, yet we go through greater periods of dryness than I believe any other generation before us, certainly more than those that, you know, walked through the Bible days. The apostles, they were beaten. They were in prison. They had no freedom of speech. They traveled on foot. They had no foot deodorant. They had no Dr. Scholl's. They had no pedicures. They had no Uber. They had no public transportation. And we have it all. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the Bible in black and white. Yet we oftentimes feel ourselves just a well of stored up information. It's like the Dead Sea if you've ever been to Israel. It, all, it has no tributaries. All the minerals and all the nutrients, they flow into this Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. So why do we find ourselves in this condition? I, I personally went before the Lord and asked him, God, why do I have to keep accepting this dryness in my life and the people who's, who, who I love? Why, why do we keep accepting it? Why not find out what it is so we don't have to put up with it any longer? So I thought about uh, I, I thought about it for a while, and I realized that the answer, it's really not as complex as we think. As a matter of fact, it's really, it's really obvious. In order to find the cure for dryness, we have to go to the source. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27 that we are made in his image and likeness. So it stands to reason what satisfies God is going to satisfy us because he's the law, author of life and God is never dry. So I want to give us some basic God facts. Number one, we know God owns 
everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So he's rich and he's not a vegan. He's into beef. Thank you, Jesus. He, he's, he's richer than any Texas rancher. The Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he also owns prime real estate. And we also know that he owns heaven. Streets of gold, pearly gates, walls of jasper. So God has a lot of bling. Now you would think all of those possessions would satisfy him. You would think that he would walk around heaven saying, wow, this is mine, all mine. Angel Gabriel, show me those streets of gold one more time. Let me look at everything I own. But God isn't like that at all. So the first thing we can learn about God is that possessions are not the cure for dryness. And living in the best neighborhood, location, location, is not the answer to our happiness. The truth of the matter is, is that God who owns everything isn't satisfied unless he has someone to share it with. God is the author of relationships. Our creator is not self-absorbed and materialistic. And let me just say on a side note, because I know that that prosperity, oh, God wants us prosperous for sure. But somehow that prosperity gospel has gotten twisted around. And we think that God wants us to have all this stuff. And we know just by Hollywood standards, people with a lot of stuff are really not all that happy. So this is a divine mystery. God, who owns everything, longs for us. Deuteronomy 32.9, it says, For the Lord's portion or the Lord's satisfaction is his people. Not the angels, not the mountains, not the valleys. We, you and I, we are God's treasure. And none of those other things ever captivated his heart. Heaven wasn't satisfying to God unless he had someone to share it with. Yeah. So God, who is the anointing, wasn't satisfied unless he was able to pour all that he was into someone else, wow. his so creation. Yeah. So God needed relationships. And he was willing to pay a great price in order to have, to have it. He gave up his one and only son, and, and, we, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews uh, 6.10 that, uh, that we love God by the way we love one another. So that's a very important thing about God. So I think it reveals two things about God. He loves people more than he loves himself, his possessions, his own comfort, and his own home. And he loves to give of himself to people and he'll go to any length to do so. So I could think that we could draw this conclusion that we're never more like our creator than when we're loving one another more than our possessions and our very own comfort and our very own life. If, if anyone asks you what business is God in, God is in the people business. God is in the people business. And God has saved us to place us in his people's business, yeah. right? 
we, God, God wants us to have relationship with one another in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. He says, go and make disciples. So we are to make disciples. We are to reach, grow, and transform. It's not enough that we get all this Bible knowledge in our head because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We need both. And a church gets very weird when they stop reaching the lost, when they stop pouring themselves into one another. Some people study and study and study. They have to know the Greek and the Hebrew, but what does it really get them? I am all about reading the word, studying the word. I love the word, but you need to be able to pour in what you are drinking in onto somebody else. I'm going to give you a very obscure scripture, and I know that I am in the right place because a little while ago we saw people squatting, so we were talking about booties. Uh, let me just say this. I, I have never exercised. I am allergic to exercise. I love to clean. I run up and down the stairs with laundry. I pick up my grandkids, I cook, whatever, but I do not have those endorphins. I don't have them. I promise you, I am endorphin-less. A few years ago, I almost died. My husband, uh, my husband loves to work out. He has a personal trainer, and he gets this woman to train me. So the first day, uh, I, I, I go to her, and he makes me go. He says, you're not going to die with me. But why do you think he wants me alive? Why men want their wife alive? Okay. So. So I go to the woman, and, you know, she wants me to do, like, ten reps, and I go to her, look. I'm not an overachiever. I said, can I just do six? So she goes, okay. So, you know, the first week we do the six, you know, and whatever, and, you know. Oh, let, let me, before I, one time my husband said, you don't want to go to the, th I'm, I'm going to train you at home. He gets these weights, and he gets a mat. So I pick up the weight, it was three pounds. Pick up the weight, I go to him, honey, Take off those things at the end. He goes, Maria, those are the weights. Those are the weights. So anyway, I go to her. So the first week I do the six. The second week, she starts to open up. She has a terrible marriage. So of course, the whole hour I'm ministering to her. The, the third week I'm leaving to go to, to, you know, to exercise, but I leave early. My husband said, where are you going? I says, I'm going to exercise. He says, no, you're not supposed to go until, you know, the hour and a half. And I said, yeah, but I'm going to go blow my hair. He says, how could you blow your hair before you exercise? I said, I'm not planning on sweating. I said, so when I get there, I say to her, I go, look, you work for me, right? And she says, yeah. I said, you know that rubbing you do at the end? Can I have the rubbing for the whole hour? So my husband walks in, he finds her rubbing me. He said, forget it, I'm not, not paying for this. So I am really totally allergic. I am saving up for liposuction. Thank you, Jesus. I say, put me out and suck the fat out, because that's it. 
So I want to talk about, so I said I'm in the right place because you were talking about booties and I am going to talk about breasts. I'm sorry, Pastor Anthony. I, I really, you're not supposed to be here. You know what? I preached this message in New Zealand and all the, it must be like an Australian New Zealand, all the men come to the women's conference. So at the end, this pastor said, that's the breast message I ever heard. That's what he said. So I'm gonna give you an obscure verse of scripture. Song of Songs, verses eight, chapter eight, verses eight to 10. And now this is the concerned siblings talking, brothers and sisters. It says this, we have a little sister and her breasts are not yet grown. They, and it means they have not yet developed. And in this passage, breast symbolizes maturity. And then they go on to say, what can we do for our sister? They're basically saying, we're fine, but she's not. Our younger sister hasn't yet matured. Let's help her. They're basically saying, listen, let's not talk about her. Let's not criticize her. Let's not uh, scrutinize her. Let's not judge her. Let's not compete with her or let's not ignore her. Let's speak words of life over her. And they go on to say in uh, uh, verse nine, if she is a wall, if she grows up to be a wall, we could build silver towers on her. In other words, she'll be formidable. She'll be impenetrable. She'll be strong and she'll bring glory to God. But then they go on to say, but if she is a door, we will have to enclose her. She will need protection. She's going to be vulnerable. She's going to be in danger. And now the sister says, I am a wall. In other words, I am already strong. And my breasts are like towers. Thus, I have become in his eyes as one bringing contentment. She's saying my life basically is already glorifying God. She's saying I'm mature. Now this is my favorite part because I never get to say this. I am a double D in the spirit. But my little sister, she's in a training bra. And she's also saying, because I'm connected to the bridegroom, I am connected to those whom the bridegroom loves. I've got to train her because if I train her, she'll grow up to be a tower and in turn, she will train someone else. Now, let me say this. The church at large has moved out of the birthing room, which is the church's primary and fundamental purpose. Our purpose is to, is to watch the purposes of God come from someone else's life, right? We're to be giving birth to new life. Uh, where are the midwives, those that will go the distance, those that have true concern for one another, those that will make your, their problem your problem? Churches are becoming more like spas. Wow. It's a cosmetic center. Wow. 
We come to church for a little nip and tuck, a little injection of collagen. The pastor has to be a masseuse. He has to rub you the right way. And if he doesn't rub you the right way, you go and find another spa. And we are becoming more concerned with receiving a blessing than being a blessing. Now, the Bible tells us in Titus 2, 3, older women teach the younger. It doesn't say old women. It says seasoned women. Women who have stood this test of time and are still standing. They are living to tell about it. Those that have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, they're saying teach the younger. That word teach here means train, mentor, nurture, empower, bring life into. Give of your spiritual breast. So there won't be an orphan spirit in the church. There won't be a generation of believers that are wet behind the ears. Now look at Paul's language in Galatians 4.19. This is Paul the midwife. Paul morphs into so many different people. In one verse he's a runner. and one he's a wrestler. and one he's a hunter. and one he's an athlete. But right here he's Paul the midwife. And he says, my dear children, he says, I am again, I am again. It's not a one-time burden that you have for somebody. I am again in, in the pains of childbirth. I am again carrying a burden in my heart for you. I am again interceding. He says, once again, I'm going to bat for you until Christ is formed in you. Until I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not going to flat leave you. I am with you. And Paul obviously is drinking from the same source, uh, those rivers of living water that come from only from God. This is the spirit of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he paints a picture of total intimacy, of care and concern to those he was connected to. Now he's Paul, the breastfeeding mother. He says, we were gentle amongst you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So notice, Paul doesn't compare himself to a father. He compares himself to a breastfeeding mother. And he says, we loved you so much. Where did he get that language from? For God so loved. I didn't just love you. I so loved you that he goes on to say that we not only shared the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. We shared our life. We didn't only give you the word. I'm more than a preacher on a Sunday. I'm more than a worship leader at the resilient meeting. No, no. I am here to share my very life with you. I am a breastfeeding mother. And right here is the lifeline. When I think of a nursing mother, I think of sacrifice. I think of commitment. I think of patience, total inconvenience. Someone willing to have their body altered so that someone else can get nutrients. Breastfeeding mothers, they're fearless. They're shameless. They whip out their breast anywhere. They're selfless. So I want to speak today about spiritual breastfeeding. And I want to give us some breastfeeding facts. Number one, an interdependent 
relationship is formed. The, the baby needs what the mother has to release, but the mother needs to release what the baby needs. Or otherwise, one would be starving and one would be in pain. Interdependent, not independent. Let me just say this. The Bible tells us not to forsake the gathering of the saints. So for us, Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's not the day to do laundry. It's not the day to bring your kids to sports unless you attend a meeting. It's the Lord's Day. We need to get out of this mentality that if I don't come to church, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because guess what? Your smile might be the smile that changes somebody's life. Your arms might be the arms that hold somebody that feels so discouraged and so down and out. Your shoulder might be the shoulder that someone else needs. So it does matter if you show up on a Sunday because there's an interdependent relationship. There's a bond. It's intergenerational. Both yearn for one another. Do you know that when a baby needs to eat, the mother's breast automatically fill up with milk? And when she's not in the vicinity, she makes provision for that baby. She knows when the baby is hungry. Like us, when we have an, an, an interdependent relationship with one another, because somehow God gave me a burden for Pastor Miriam, and he somehow put us together, I all of a sudden might be minding my business, and all of a sudden I feel this prompting in the spirit, and I know that I have to send her a text or give her a phone call. That's what happens when we're connected to one another. Remember, someone is depending on you to carry their burden. And when you're a breastfeeding mother, you have to watch your intake, right? You, you can't eat spicy food. You, you have to watch. We are breastfeeding mothers because remember this, guys, you may not be a double D, you may be a D. You may be a C, but someone else is a B. You may be a B, but someone else is an A. You may be an A, but someone else is a double A. Some, you may be a double A, but someone else is in a training bra. You have to watch your intake because as, as God fills you, you have to give it out. You have to give it out. In, intake equals output. And for us that are breastfeeding mothers, we have to watch what we listen to on the telephone. We have to watch what we watch on TV. You can't watch all these man-hating shows and expect to minister to somebody about their marriage. You can't watch all this gossip stuff and expect the pure milk of the word to come out of your mouth. You got to watch what you're watching because you don't live for yourself. You live for other people. I think about intergenerational. Think about the lies that are in the world and they've crept into the church. That the, that the young don't need the old and the old don't need the young. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Listen, every Mary needs an Elizabeth to validate and bear witness that what Mary was carrying was from heaven. Every Ruth needs a Naomi so that she help her find her Boaz. Every Timothy needs a Paul to father him. Every Joshua needs a Moses to, to show him the way up into the presence of the Lord. But on the other hand, Elizabeth needed Mary to validate that what Elizabeth was carrying in her womb was alive and kicking. And Naomi desperately needed a Ruth. 
because Ruth gave Naomi new purpose in her life. Paul desperately needed a Timothy because Timothy taught him how to be tender and how to be a parent. And Moses needed a Joshua to lead the people all the way. Their destinies, our destinies are wrapped up in one another. And it is our God-given duty as believers to be interdependent and intergenerational. I don't know, I am sure Pastor Mary and Pastor Anthony feel like this, but you come to church, you could be down, but all of a sudden you see somebody whose life was changed and everything changes and you say, you know what, it's all worth it. You see that single parent that was a dropout and now she's getting her degree. You know, you see somebody that was homeless and now they're making it and they're working. You see somebody that lived a crazy life and all of a sudden everything changes. Look at, look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8. He says, in all our distress, and notice, I want you to realize that the words our and we and your are big. Now this is the Apostle Paul. He says, in all our distress and persecution. So Paul is having a rough life. He says, we, we who were in distress and in persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. For now, we are standing firm in the faith. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you paul is having a glory fit being persecuted because the people he's connected to are standing firm in the faith his joy was always connected to someone else's uh, success it had nothing to do with his circumstances right joy jesus others and you we've learned that when we first became believers it hasn't changed your joy is never about you it's about others don't believe that stuff you know god wants you to be this and no 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 god wants you to love other people you take care of his people he'll take care of you believe me so paul is basically saying if you're doing good i'm doing good i read this in a breastfeeding book one breastfeeding mother said there's something so right about a system that makes one human being responsible for another. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Yeah. See, the spiritual cycle of life is only active when we're imparting life. Yeah. What does the Bible say? Love one another yeah. as I have loved you. You receive love? Love. Comfort one another as you have been comforted. Comforted As, as freely as you have been uh, given, freely give. As you refresh others, you will be refreshed. Refreshment isn't going to come by you pouting in your room. Refreshment comes as you refresh others. Philemon said, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. He is saying in the activity of sharing your faith, then you'll know what God's will is for your life. See, we want to know what God's will is for our life. Then we'll share our faith. No, it's the opposite. Listen, everything that we live is the opposite life. And he's saying, go out and share your faith, and then I'll fill you. The bottom line is this. If you want to be blessed, you've got to be a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. So good. 
Years ago, I went to, uh, I started in the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and it's probably going to be uh, 40 years ago. And of course, when I went there, it was nowhere the size that it was, but it was way bigger than the little church I came from. And I know the scripture, it says, if you want to be, uh, be, if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. So I, I went there and... Uh, there were a few hundred people, and I would, during the worship, I would say, God, show me who to invite to my house. So I would just pray. I had a big station wagon. At the time, I had um, two kids. Jordan was an infant, and my son Adam was two and a half years old. I didn't have Chris yet. So during the service, the Holy Spirit would say, go to that one, that one, that one, and that one. So at the time, we didn't have... Uh, car seats, you know, you threw your kids in the back of the station wagon and they rolled around and listen, they lived, they lived. You know, now we have all protective gear on them. It takes us an hour and a half to put helmets on them and masks and all of this stuff. But I would throw them in the back of the car. I would say, you know, hi, my name is Maria. And you know, would you like to come to my house today? And it would be all different people, married, single, young, old, whoever the Holy Spirit told me and they would come to my house. My husband worked on a Sunday morning. He worked in a food business, so he would come home. He would bring raviolis and whatever, and I would cook, and then we'd all go back to the service on Sunday night. So I was doing this for a number of years, and it was amazing. And one day during the service, as I always did, I said, God, show me who to invite. About three and a half years already passed. And as I am praying, I, the enemy, the accuser comes and he says, you know, you've been inviting people all these years, but no one's ever invited you. So I'm like, well, well that's true. You know, and I am just like having like the only pity party, right? So at the end of the service, I am waiting to see who's now going to invite me. Now, that was ridiculous. I had to go home. I'm the one that had the car. But, you know, when we get in this state, right, we kind of like lose our, our minds. And so everybody's emptying out of the church. Bye, Maria. Bye, Maria. Bye, Maria. And now my kids, so at that time you only wore skirts to church, and my, my kids are tugging on my skirt, and they're saying, Mommy, come on, who are we going to invite home today, right? And I am like, <laughs> you know, and I <laughs> So, of course, by myself with the two kids, I get to the car, and of course, we didn't have the beep beep. We had to stick the key in the car. Life was very difficult. Right? And I'm like, I, I have like snot everywhere. I'm just hysterical right? And I think, you see God, you see God, nobody invited me. And the Holy Spirit said, I didn't bring you there to be invited. I brought you there to invite. And you missed a week of doing my will. Don't let it happen again. Now, I don't know what Holy Spirit you have, but that's the Holy Spirit I have. You know, when people say, I was crying and then angels came around me and they started to wipe my face with pink tissues. I mean, I don't have that. I have like, psh, psh, psh. get up and 
get on, girl. You have the same Holy Spirit? Fact number two. When you breastfeed, your uterus becomes stronger. The more you breastfeed, the stronger your uterus becomes. And you're able to hold more children. Well, the same is true spiritually. As we breastfeed in the spirit, our inner man is strengthened and we grow up on the inside. Fact number three, the more we breastfeed, the more your milk increases. When a mom starts the process, right, she's in the hospital and the lactate, what kind of lactate nurse? Lactation nurse comes. I made it two weeks, guys. All right, I'm confessing. I made it two weeks. I got bit and that was it. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, in those days, it really wasn't cool. Now it's cool to, I mean, God forbid you don't breastfeed. Oh, God. <laughs> Peter comes after you. Everybody comes after you. Like, <laughs> a horrible person. Thank God I'm old. I'm past that. Anyway, when a new mom starts the process, she looks down and she says, look, I don't have what it takes to go the distance. I don't have what it takes to go two and a half years. But we know in the subtraction, there's addition. As a matter of fact, as the baby grows, the mother's milk changes to meet the baby's need. The same is true for us in the spirit. We look down and we look at ourselves and we're, we're fearful and we don't think we have what it takes. But, but God says, open your mouth and I'll fill it. You know, open your heart and, and I will fill you with rivers of compassion. Unless we expel what we have, there'll never be an increase. In 2 Kings 4, uh, we know the story, the widow, she's about to lose her son to debtors. Her husband passed away and now the debtors are coming. And uh, uh, her house is about to be empty. All life is being taken from her. Maybe somebody can help me with the keys. And she goes to the prophet, and the prophet says to her, what do you have in your house? Now, I don't know about you, but I found that very strange. I thought maybe the prophet, because her husband was a prophet, maybe he should have come with a love offering. Maybe he should have come to rescue her son and, and, and pay the debt. But he doesn't. He says to her, what do you have in your house? She says, I have nothing except a jar of ointment. In other words, a jar of oil. And in, it literally means I only have one uh, anointing of oil left for me. I, 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 I don't have enough. I'm just hanging in there. Yeah. But the prophet says to her lack, go into the neighborhood and find empty jars and don't stop at a few because the answer to her lack was finding vessels emptier than herself. Wow. Wow. She had to pour out what she had. And once she started pouring, she had a limitless supply. The prophet tells her, bring the empty vessels into your house. Bring them close to you start pouring that oil out and notice that oil reproduced oil what she poured out was reproduced it was replicated in those jars 
And when she stopped pouring, the oil stopped flowing. Because God doesn't waste his anointing. It was meant to be given away. Fact number four, in order to breastfeed, you have to take your shirt off. You got to be bare. You got to be naked. You got to be transparent. You got to be vulnerable. So, good. so when we breastfeed in the spirit, you have to share your trials and your triumphs, your weaknesses and your strength. And of course, fear says, no, but I, I can't breastfeed. I can't bring anybody close to me. I can't bring them in my house. I've got to be perfect. Fear says, don't let them see your imperfections. Fear says, what I have isn't enough. They're, they're too droopy. They're, but the baby, the baby doesn't mind. The baby's not looking at the mother's imperfections. The baby loves her mommy's breast. And I think that the biggest fear for all of us is accepting that we do have something to give. And taking responsibility to do it. Fact number five, there are hazards to breastfeeding. Your nipples get sore. Sometimes they bleed. You may have to put salve on them. Sometimes you just got to anoint yourself and keep on going. Some mothers develop something called mastitis, and it's a serious infection in the tissue around the breast. The mother is urged to breastfeed despite the pain because the breast milk isn't, isn't affected. If the mom stops, her ducts will clog up and she will get an abscess which will require surgical draining. It's better in the long run for the mom to push through the pain, to avoid the knife, to avoid scarring. And chances are, when you reach out, you're gonna get bit. And getting bit could make us bitter. And what do we do? We put our shirt back on, we button up, and we say, I'm not putting myself out there anymore. Because being hurt hurts. There's a story in the Bible, 1 Samuel, and it's about a woman called Michal, and Michal is Saul's daughter. And if you ever read the story, it's very simple. David kills Goliath, and there's this massive party. And Michal, she sees David, and she falls in love with him. She knows he's godly. She's diff he's different than her father is. And she's attracted to him. The Bible says he was handsome, but she's attracted to his anointing. And they marry. And when they marry, the Bible switches her from being called Saul's daughter to being David's wife. And her father Saul is very jealous of David and tries to kill him. But Michal, she risks her own life. Doesn't matter that she had a title, that she was a princess. She cares about nothing. She's in love with David. She loves him. And the Bible says that when men come to kill him, she puts this, this um, idol in the bed to pretend it's David, and she lets him out a window. And, and she risks everything. But 20 years passes, and now David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and this is as big a deal as when he killed Goliath and there's another party there's dancing going on but 20 years later Michal isn't at the party she's sitting she's looking out a different window with different eyes this is this uh, window actually exists in Israel it's a very long narrow window 
You sit behind it, you're able to shoot darts out, but darts can't get in. And she's watching the party. She's close enough to the festivities, but she's far enough away not to participate in them. And the Bible says that as she watched David, her husband, she despised him. Somehow in those 20 years, something happened where Michal got hurt. She got bitter. But David, he leaves the party, the Bible says, to go home to bless his family. Let me just say this. A man, if you're married, can have all the affirmation in the world from other people, but it matters not unless his wife gives him that affirmation. And the same is true a husband to a wife. A million people could say, wow, that was a great sermon. But when my husband says that's a great sermon, or when I tell my husband, great sermon, and David leaves the party, he leaves the dancing girls. He leaves everything behind because he's running home. He wants to get to Michal. And he goes to bless her, but the Bible says she comes out because she's about to curse him and she berates him. And in that part of scripture, she's no longer David's wife. They call her Saul's daughter. She reverted back to who she originally was because when we get bitter, we become our old self. And the Bible says that she remained barren or she remained lifeless. And we never hear of David dancing again. Somehow what she did stepped on his toes and he never danced again. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that there's some of us in the room. We started at the first window. We protected, we covered, we loved, we risked our life. We had pure eyes, but time passed and something happened. Maybe you opened your shirt and somebody hurt you. You somehow got disappointed and now you've withdrawn from the party. You still come to church. You're close enough, but there's a distance. You're close enough, but you're not participating. You have different eyes. You're judging, you're scrutinizing. God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you because the bottom line is this, fact number six, if you want to dry up, stop breastfeeding. And that's a pain that none of us can bear. To dry up, to have the Holy Spirit's life in us and, and, and clogged up inside of us because we are hurt and we're bitter and the flow of the Holy Spirit can't come out. God wants to heal us today because he's saying there's greatness on the inside of you. And if you would just say, God, I want you to once again heal me. I want to once again be that person that I used to be. I want to open my shirt. I want to start to trust people. There's also people in the room, you've never started the process because you're afraid. You're afraid to take responsibility for what you had. You're afraid to, to, to start the process. Some of you feel like the widow, you have nothing to give. I only have a little anointing to keep myself afloat. 
But God's saying, I want you to take the lid off of that fear. Because once you start pouring out, you will not be, you will be amazed at what will come out of you because there is a body of Christ that needs what you have. If you're here tonight, I want every eye closed because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I oftentimes say, if you're not, if you're, you're not living unless you're giving, there is something about giving. There's something about seeing someone else prosper. See, that's the spiritual cycle of life. And the tourniquet of the enemy wants to squeeze and say, but when is it my turn? God has a plan for you. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. You've not started the process or you've started the process and now you've buttoned up because you've really been hurt. I want you just to stand to your feet. Thank you. Thank you. I know that the Holy Spirit told me. He wants to heal you tonight. He wants to bring such healing in your life. Thank you. Thank you. It could be a leader. Listen, I've been hurt. I've buttoned up more times than I could tell you. But the pain of buttoning up and not being connected to the body of Christ is so awful that it's not, it's not worth it. I'd rather put myself out there, get bit, get in pain, anoint myself, put salve on myself and keep on going on. Father, for those of you that have not started the process, because you don't really think you have what it takes, you have so much inside of you, you have no idea. I want you to stand to your feet. That's right, stand to your feet. Father, I thank you because I know that you're our healer tonight. I am asking you, God, that you would heal to the uttermost parts, Lord. I am asking you, God, that, that those that have been bit doing the work of the Lord, that the Lord would come himself and touch, oh God, their inner man so that once again, there could be healing and a flow of anointing through their life. I pray for those that have just started tonight, God. They would say, Lord, I may not be a double D, but I'm a B and I know that you can use me. God, use me for your name's sake in the name of Jesus. You know what? Be who somebody needs you to be. Just be what somebody needs you to be and God will heal you to the uttermost. Pastor Miriam, 